If workplace culture is your jam, you're in the right place. Check out this episode of Culture Secrets, the podcast dedicated to creating workplaces where both employees and the companies thrive. Welcome to the Culture Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Chelly Phillips, and this week I'm excited to introduce you to Daniel Lawrence. He and his business partner, Christian, created a tech company called Bots for That, and they're located in London, England. I met Daniel thanks to a long-term friend, Robert Toll. We've known each other since high school, and just like I tell my clients who are considering career changes, your network is one of your most valuable tools. Without that intro, I wouldn't have had a chance to learn about Daniel and what they are building. When I began writing the Culture Secrets book, I wanted to showcase great cultures from a multitude of industries and business types, as well as offer a global perspective on the workplace. When Robert offered to introduce me to Daniel, I jumped at the chance because not only did it open the doors to to an insider's look at the tech world, but it also gave me a look into how culture is different in a startup operation and how the workplace differs in other countries. So without any further delay, let's dive into the conversation with Daniel. Tell me a little bit about your business, how you got started, Mm. what it is. Mm. We had some toxic culture, and Robert will probably tell you the same. We've we've both experienced some incredibly toxic culture over our years together. Um, We've been brothers in arms trying to fight from within the systems in many many different companies, from clients and employers who we both worked with. And we've both seen very extreme and toxic people, ourselves, for want of a better word. Um, We've seen and come across enough of them in our time. So what we used to do was... I guess we used to help companies become more productive, more efficient, operate more optimally. We used to help them transform and, and, and change and improve their processes and how they work. And uh, one of the things we never really tackled as part of what we used to do was the technology because well, most companies have so many diverse sort of unconnected you know, patchwork of systems that we could never really fix anything. And so when something called robotic process automation came up. Um, it's something that myself and Christian, who, who Robert also knows, is something that we started to look at because we thought this could be a bit of a game changer because it means you don't have to change any of your actual technology systems. You can automate them without having to integrate, without having to change them all at the surface level. Um, and therefore, you could eliminate loads and loads of manual work that we were basically shipping off and redesigning and putting it and lifting and shifting it in low-cost locations, um, which was great. And it, and it, it delivered huge returns. But it was a hell of a pain in the ass to do, you know. And it took, you know, it took two years or more to, to do it properly in any sort of reasonable sized company. So this thing called bots came along, uh, and myself and Christian looked at it and thought, actually, there's something in that. We 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 jumped on early. We we're an early adopter of it, and we we joined our forces, our two companies together, and we started looking seriously at bots and how that would work. Um, and really, since uh, we 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 got up and running around 2017 properly. And then lockdown happened, the global pandemic hit us, and we started getting really busy suddenly then because everyone's way of working suddenly changed through force. So people couldn't go to colleges for their classes. They had to dial in on a Zoom call, and no one's systems were set up to handle things and life and work in that way. So we started to get very busy. We grew quite a lot through lockdown, um, and it, it was a in some ways, it was a springboard for us to accelerate our growth and what we were doing and to evolve our own business strategy. And so we did. So ever since then, we've been continuing to grow and bootstrap our business. And we've grown. We've hired people. We've lost people. We've hired again and we've lost them again. And we keep going back and forth. And I think culture has played a very big part of that because people think what they want to do is join a startup. 
but the realities of that are far different from what people look for in their employment. You know, the psychological comfort that people see in a regular salary, you know, annual increases in pay, regular working times, structured, you can see five levels above you, all those sorts of things where it's fairly static, it's fairly rigid, it's fairly comfortable, I think is the thing. And people think, oh, great, a, start- a startup sounds like a wonderful idea. I can I can go broad, I can get lots of experience, but the realities of it, it's a little bit different. And I think culturally, that requires a different mindset. And it's something that we do from when we when we advertise jobs, one of the things we talk, we, we do the four C's. So we, we do conversation and, and also sort of, but one of the four C's is culture. So one of the first things that we speak to when we first meet a candidate for the first time, we don't talk about competency and skills. We don't talk about compensation and package. We talk about culture because we don't want to have a misfit. And that's the first thing we ever talk about with pictures. So we probably exclude 80% of our candidates on the first call. And it's all because what we really do is eliminate potential candidates that aren't going to be a good fit. We give them examples. So for example, our culture, our, I guess our culture and our values are almost synonymous, right? But we, we, we put them together. Um, our acronym for our value-based system is recipe. And our, the reason is there's a link for that because what we build now is bot recipes, which are pre-built bot activities that you can say, yeah, maybe there's a bot that takes your information out of your Salesforce system and, put, and creates an invoice in your accounting system, for example. So we have these pre-built recipes bots. So we came up with an acronym actually tied to that as well, just to give us a little bit of, I don't know, consistency, a bit of fun, mm-hmm. really. So our, our value is, um, our acronym is RECIPE, which is Respect, Excellence, Customer, Integrity, Performance, and Execution. So when we first speak to a candidate, we go through... This is what it is. This is what we really value above all else. And here's a few examples of the kind of person who wouldn't fit. What do you think? So we, we, we give them examples of the kind of person that wouldn't fit our culture. And we just have a very open and honest exchange on that. Um, and a lot of time the people go, yeah, you know what? I thought this is what I wanted, but actually those two things there, that, that one there and that one there, that, that's really not me and I'm not going to fit. And most people... Would, would actually exclude themselves at that point, um, which is good because it saves us wasting time all the way down the road. But the one or two that get through are the ones that get all the way to the end, generally speaking, and they're the right ones and we're right for them and they're right for us and, and it tends to last longer that way. So that's, that's, I guess, how we approach from the very, very start. Um, and the other thing, I'm the reason we, we, I guess we have those guiding values is that when you're a startup, one of the one of the attributes, I suppose, of what we do is there isn't a big, high, tall structure. A lot of our communication has to be horizontal and quick to be effective. So if you're relying on getting a decision from someone above them and above them, you know, you're not going to work. It's not going to fit, right? So horizontal, quick, rapid, fail fast, move on, learn, get on with the next one. So that's that's kind of the, the approach that we take. Um, and because of that, you can't really police or policize everything that you do. You've got to fall back on something, and it's that fabric. That's our values, really. So that you know, if we know that edu- uh, our, um, execution is is paramount, we've got to deliver, right? And if we know that good enough ain't good enough, if we have those guiding principles, if you don't know, you can always sort of fall back on those guiding principles to make a decision as to what to do. Because you you know, I can't be everywhere, and I shouldn't be, and it allows people. I guess it gives them a framework to sort of work towards. You know, and we all make mistakes, but it gives you something better than having nothing at all. I think, and that's that's probably how we've structured ourselves. 
I love that. So my book itself is, is, is based around creating a value culture and value is my acronym. So V is vision, okay. A is accountability, L is leadership, U is the uniqueness of the people, and E is the engagement that you create by growing this value culture. Your, the recipe model, I love that because I think it falls under that 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 vision piece. So tell me a little bit about how you, your partner, when you were sitting down starting this, what is the visioning process like as as the leaders of this organization? Is is how do you get to okay, this is going to be our culture model? Um, how do you how do you work through all the pieces and parts and come up, okay, this is what we're going to go with? Yeah, that, that's an easy one to ask it. So what we didn't do, I mean, although we were sort of management consultants, we didn't take the typical management consultant approach where you sort of write a book and then you go off and see, does this work? What we did was probably spent the last couple of years fumbling around, making our mistakes, finding out what worked and what didn't, because companies or our clients also have their own culture. But we can't obviously bend to every single one. So we, we've learned, I guess, through the last few years, what works for us, where, what things lead to successful outcome and which things don't. And that all really came when you boil it down, when we, look, when we looked back and we thought, well, that's that was a good client for these reasons. And this was a bad client for those reasons. And we, we dig, dug in a little bit and understood why. Um, and we looked across the environment and we looked at finance and we looked at customer, looked at all those factors. We, we came vastly down to those, those simple things, those very simple core values in, in a nutshell. So we did it in reverse order. And now we've embedded that in as a, well, that's sort of what we what we were doing anyway. Now it's just make it tangible mm-hmm. so that everyone knows it. You know, and I think the hard part is is everyone knowing it and holding each other accountable. That's the hard part because if we do something that doesn't honor those, we have to call each other out on it. And that's the uncomfortable part. (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, I'm I'm looking at, you you know, you were talking about the structure of a startup versus the structure Mm. maybe as a corporation that's been in the business for a long time where you have the levels of hierarchy and and yours is more horizontal based right now. Mm. So how does that accountability look in there? It's like, how do you instill that across? Is that, okay, everybody is equally accountable for making sure that we're all on the same page and that we're all living Mm. by these. It is very much that. And, And if you look at our, so we have our, annual sort of strategy um, and then we have a quarterly one and that quarterly one gets very very tangible very very real very practical and the outcome of that everybody has some part of it of delivering it so that if if any one of us miss we all miss so it is a, it is jointly accountable in so much as if two of us fail well guess what we've all failed and we're all not getting anything that's mm-hmm. just the way it goes so if i don't get the deals in and get them signed I failed and there's no money to go around for extra bonuses. Um, if we don't finish projects on time, we don't get the money in, there's no bonuses. So all those things, they're all very collaborative um, and all joined up very closely. So we all know that we've all got to succeed in order for us all to succeed. There's no, I'm, I did okay, chaps. <laughs> Sorry, you didn't. <laughs> there's none of that. We either all fail or we all succeed. So, so we sort of tied I, it in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things, one of this focuses on the fact that culture doesn't have to look the same across the board for it to be a great fit and that there are different cultures and different organizations and they can all still succeed and all still get to the same part where both the business and the employee thrives. So you talked a little bit about the hiring process, but one of the things that I'm I'm really seeing is that companies that are really successful in this culture model and in business itself is that 
they're working to retain the great workers that they have. So they're not going someplace else. And one of the things that I've heard a lot, I, I talked to a couple of recruiters and everything. And, and one of the things that they're seeing across the board is that doing re-interviews like throughout the year. It's like, okay. you know, what is working for you? What's not working for you? Are we meeting the promises that we told you when we hired you? Is this what you expected? What what weren't you expecting? Are you seeing any of that inside? Yeah, I don't think we, it probably doesn't feel as formal or as structured as that, but yes, it, it does. Have, yeah, that's something we do, I guess, throughout the year. I think it's probably harder. Um, and this is probably a general observation in terms of values. COVID was a pain because it changed so many things forever, irrevitably. It did never, we're never going back, right? So most people, I don't know what it's like in the US, but most people still are not returning to the office on mass, maybe a day, maybe two days a week at most, some some a lot less than that. And I think um, I think we've, we're missing out. I think we're missing out a lot by not physically interacting. I think that's, a, that's creating a bigger challenge than we've ever had. I think, and it's the same for anyone. Um, so professionally, it, it's a challenge. Without the social interaction, it's those little things, the little cooler moments where you overhear a comment, you interject. That's where the correction of, of culture happens more naturally. And it's very difficult if you only talk to someone for 35 minutes in a 40-hour week. You're missing out on so much. So I think that's the biggest challenge that we've we've got and we've got to overcome. And we still haven't got a result for that. I mean, that's, what we, that's one thing we've got to work on. That's one thing we need to improve on next year and how we address that. So there's that, there's interact. There's so many interactions that I think we're missing out on that I think culture is going to suffer, values are going to suffer. And it's going to make the challenge harder because they could end up speaking more with a client than they could with their colleagues, which the risk is then they start seeing that culture like- as predominantly to ours. And that, that could well be a mistake could not be in the best interests of us. That's been a challenge for a lot of people that I've talked to you now, that COVID really mm. changed the way that the office functions and, and interacts. And, and even Gallup did a study on the fact that, you know, people are happier at work when they have a friend at work and that kind of thing. You know, like it just... Yeah. It makes the day better when you have somebody yeah. you enjoy being around. And yeah. I think I think people are very much like I think I think we're relational anyway, that that yeah. we thrive on being around people and having people in our lives. And so uh, that is going to be a bigger challenge going forward. It's been interesting to see how some are are tackling it. My eight to five job professionally, I'm in the utility business. We've been back. Well, we've been back pretty much from the beginning because of the essential service function of everybody has to have electricity at their house. We did do a little bit from home. We did some hybrid stuff, but pretty much when we got back, we had we all came back because you just you just have to be here depending on if there's storms or anything like that. I haven't had to deal with that, but a lot of the other a lot of other people in my life, they're still on a hybrid schedule. They might go in two days a week or, mm-hmm. you know, and they really don't have those interactions anymore. And it's it, it's very quickly eroded the culture that they had prior to that. And I, I think it's going to be even harder to get it back. You know, like once you've had mm. it and then you lost it, I mm. think it's harder to go back to where you came from sometimes. Totally. It's a bit like when your kids leave home and go to university and you come back and think, right, they've changed. It's the same sort of thing. If you suddenly get together with your workers, you're going to think, right, they weren't like that before. <laughs> <laughs> I know one of the things about creating a great culture is trusting in the leadership that's putting this out for you and the fact that they they walk walk the walk that they're putting out there in front of people. Mm. So mm. tell me a little bit about how do you personally as a leader in this organization emulate the culture that you want your employees to have? It's not something well I suppose it's it's something that we 
so because we because we measure ourselves quarterly, so quite tightly, um, we we have a what we call a pulse meeting every fortnight, every two weeks, um, and that is to review right, where are we, what's gone well, what's not gone well, what's changed, um, who's had some successes, who's had some failures, and we're, we're quite, I guess, I'm fairly I'm fairly open about everything that happens. I like to think I take responsibility and accountability for for all of it. Um, I, I always say uh, I'm the um, when I whenever I do a podcast or anything else, I always says, "What do you do?" There, I say, "I'm the guy who takes the credit for nothing and the blame for everything." So that's how I like to think I, I lead. Um, I don't think it's always the case because you know people are people. We all we're complex beings, right? But but that's how I like to think I would you know always um, take control of it. And then I sort of by I guess osmosis, you, you hope that that sets the theme for everyone else to do the same. And I, I think largely it does. I mean, I don't. I don't really see anyone in here that doesn't really take the same approach. You know, they, they all take responsibility. They all take accountability for the outcomes. They take responsibility for, for getting the sleeves rolled up and getting stuck in because we're a smaller company. And that's the only way that we can succeed. There is no one else who's going to take care of that. You've got to do it. And sometimes that means getting your fingers in other people's pies and just getting on with it, getting it done. Um, so I think that does happen. It's not. It's not something I guess I question. But we haven't. We haven't really called anyone. Of, no one's called in our house out on, on not really staying true to our to our beliefs. You must be doing a good job of it then. Well, yeah. Well, either that or no one's no one's going to tell me that shit. <laughs> I love it. So I guess also too is. If someone is starting a company or even if they're not starting a company, if they already have one and, and they've been walking around going, something's not quite right. We need to work mm-hmm. on some things. Mm-hmm. What are what are some steps or what are some of the thought process as a leader that you go through as you're preparing to maybe, okay, I need I need to address this culture issue that we have. How can you get ahead of it? What what should you put the thoughts into it? And maybe what are some roadblocks that you might encounter mm-hmm. along the way? Yeah, I think the major roadblock is always openness. Um, some people are afraid to be honest with themselves. Some people are afraid to be honest with others. And I think as long as there's not a toxic behavior, uh, I think generally speaking, most people are fairly honest. But you've got to be honest with yourself as well and put, put your hands up. So I think that's really the major, the only real major roadblock to be honest with you because nothing moves forward unless there's honesty. So that's probably the number one thing. I think what I'm quite a logical rational thinker um as much as i'd like to be something different that's basically what i am i'm a logical rational planner so what i always tend to do is is rationally look at a situation and i start to to sub you know categorize it and subcategorize it and structure it in a way that i can understand it and then present it back to others um and that because that's how i operate um so that's what we did when we when i sat down and right well let's look at what's worked over the last few years what's what's been what's led to really pleasant happy moments what's led to having clients that we love working with and the ones that we haven't and why and examining where we've succeeded and where we failed and that's really where i always start with it and then i i tend to then things naturally bucket themselves up into customer and finance and numbers and culture and um, and they tend to do that sort of naturally i guess bring together into groups um and from that i then we sort of then structured that's how we ended up with our recipe structure because it was those simple factors that really step back from it yeah those three things are all the same thing those two are the same those 10 are all the same type of thing and then you end up with these you know six things really that underpin 
what makes us successful, what makes us happy, what makes us sexual. So you brought up finances. And mm. one of the things I'm hearing a lot is that there's not a line item on the budget that says culture. <laughs> but yet culture can impact productivity. It can impact mm-hmm. your benefits through wellness. It can impact hiring, mm. firing, retraining, retention, all of that kind of stuff. Mm. So culture can have a major impact on the actual bottom line of an organization. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I, I, when I, especially Panasonic, when I was talking, I was talking about the process of getting everybody on board that when they first started talking with the board and different things about some culture initiatives was that, oh, they just culture's foo-foo. Like I can't wrap my head around what, what, what are you, what is this culture thing that you're talking about? Maybe you can address that a little bit mm. is how does culture play mm. into the financial aspect of an organization? And then how do mm. you begin to incorporate some of those things in your processes and your other line items to be able mm. to do the things that keep the people that you want to keep? Yeah, I think on a, on a practical level, it, it's really critical for us because if I, and we're, when we're out working with clients, it's very easy to get sidetracked to get lost going down rabbit warrens of, of you know data and detail and issues that we shouldn't be that can consume our time put the whole project out of sync um so all those things have a, a factor so i think and, and all of that effectively so we've got things like the performance this was one of our key values you know that's so at the start we have, we have a project we have a timeline agree we have a cost agree we have a number of hours that we're going to spend they're all part of our culture of everyone's now aware when we start a project, we know that we're going to be measuring ourselves and, held, and be held accountable to it. So those those sorts of things that we've we've taken them from just being a value based in, in culture on a piece of paper to embedding them into a lot of our processes frameworks, I suppose. So a lot of them we've embedded in, um, and that's the same for how we price, um, how we serve, hours spent on customer services. We've got got a lot of metrics that we've embedded into our performance review as well that all link back to recipe so you know excellence uh to be to be pleased the customer to be hit the deadlines did we do the right thing did we, did we hit them yeah. all those sorts of things are all embedded in so we've taken a lot of it and embedded it directly into what we do that makes it directly measurable so we know but the um the other aspects are, are probably harder the one thing i always remember and I, i'll never forget it because i was on a course in dublin um the day 9-11 happened and it was Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it's it's stuff like sharpening the sword. It's things that to this day I've never forgotten. And we almost need to have a culture balance sheet. And I would almost use the Stephen Covey sort of framework because there's a lot of stuff in there that almost leads to having a balance sheet, a, a debits and credits side of you know, the culture-based system, the value-based system. And I guess we, we tot it up indirectly or you know without thinking about it but maybe one of it's one of those things it's almost like going to the balance scorecard and having an extra step on there which takes those more qualitative you know, value-based aspects and puts them on there too and measures ourselves because we do it, it we do it without thinking about it but we haven't done it to the same extent because it's harder i suppose right yeah it's, <laughs> hard, to put, it's hard to measure okay responsibility or it's hard to measure mm. honesty you know i mean I, there's not a number mm. okay okay you're okay you're 80 honest okay very <laughs> you know, i mean like, you very can't hard. really do that so yeah it's yeah. harder to measure and um mm. it, it's been real interesting hearing you know like some of the some of the companies i really talked to is like you know like their human processes are the ones where mm. they really have to get 
very clear. And, you know, a lot of people have, have, have basically told me that your culture initiative can't be an HR initiative. It has to be no. a total organization initiative. And a lot of mm. times, I think that's where culture gets shoved. It gets shoved in HR and it's like, oh, you mm. need to have a company picnic. You need to have this. It's And that's really not what yeah. culture is at all. No, it's it's not actually. In fact, it's definitely not that. In fact, it's all the other things that no one remembers. That's a great way to put it. It's all the stuff that's going on in the background. And so you're not going to show is. up to your company picnic if you're not doing these other things in the no, background. And, it, so. and that's the thing. It, it will end up subverting your your plan. That's, that's, the, that's the thing with it, isn't it? it it's, uh, it's almost one of those hygiene factors. You don't notice it until it's there. Or until it's not there. Um, all the while else, it's all it's all fine and, and running smoothly until it's suddenly not there, and that's when you realise it, and that's when it gets measured really when it's not when it's missing mm-hmm. <laughs> by its absence effect. Well, I promised I'd keep you thirty minutes, and that I wouldn't go any Is that longer already? for you. Any parting thoughts that you have on culture and being able to create one where both businesses and employees thrive? I think that the most important thing and and the, this is one of the things I did is I didn't just sit down and do it by myself. I got everyone to sit down and I, and we made these observations together. So it was a joint initiative so that everyone came up with and contributed to it as opposed to me sitting down and writing it up as a typical management consultant and saying, All right, this is our culture tomorrow. It was more a case of everyone made observations on what they'd learned and what was working and what wasn't and what they wanted. And and we, we evolved it from that. And I think that's probably the most important thing of always don't sell a culture, ask. That's very good advice. Thanks That'd so. be wonderful. All right. Well, I will let you go. I appreciate it so much, um, Dana. No and um, I hope you have a great rest of your day and rest of no your week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Culture Secrets Podcast. I believe Daniel's parting advice might be some of the most important information he shared. Don't sell a culture, ask. If you're interested in learning more about building a strong, people-centered culture in the workplace and hearing more from Daniel and other culture leaders like him, join the waitlist for my book, Culture Secrets, at chellyphillips.com backslash waitlist. You'll be notified when it's available at your favorite bookseller. It's scheduled to arrive on April 29th, 2023. If you have comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, drop me a rating, and share the link with a friend. I'd love the chance to come speak or lead a discussion on culture at your business or organization. If you're interested, please visit my website at www.chellyphillips.com. That's C-H-E-L-L-I-E-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S.com. Remember, building a value culture is your competitive advantage and the backbone of any successful organization.